Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. sad, somber day here on the Brewcast Show. Welcome in. I'm Luke Yardy, joined as always by Anthony Broom and Chris Castellani. Not going to lie to you, not a lot of uh, fun things to be said here on this episode after the performance that was Saturday. I think shocking to all of us, but I will now welcome in uh, my co-host Anthony Broom and Chris Castellani. Guys, well, I uh, this is what we we're hoping to avoid, but here we are. Um, hi. I don't have anything to like push or promo this week. Um, no hangouts, no t-shirts to sell, no glad tidings to share at all. Uh, I guess before we get it, I mean, <laughs> we're not doing this on the fly, but this is going to just be kind of an airing of the grievances is what it's going to be today. And it's also one of those things here where it's not nothing I tell you, nothing Chris is going to tell you, nothing Luke is going to tell you. I mean, I can't speak for those guys, but this is going to be a tough listen. And if you're looking for a show that's going to, you know, tickle your ego with the, oh, well, we still won 10 games this year. Looks like we could probably go to the Rose Bowl. No, enough. Stop. I'm not going there. We're not doing that type of show. What happened over the weekend was unacceptable. Period. And uh, there's there, there's no silver lining in any of it. Out of any of it. So we're going to autopsy it. We're going to take it apart. We're going to pull this thing apart. We're going to try and explain what happened. But you're, if you have no interest in listening to anything real... If if you if you're trying to see if someone can make you feel better, turn us off right now. Like we'll be back with basketball or something next week. But this is not going to be an easy show to do, and it's not going to be an easy show to listen to. But I think it's one that you should listen to. Chris, how you doing, man? Uh, 
I mean, I'm hanging in there. Uh, fair warning to the people, I'm a bit congested today, so if I sound a little bit nasally, I apologize. Uh, Ant said it best. I, I mean, there's not many places to go besides angry, dark places. I think uh, this was one of those games, and this happens to me every couple years. It happened after Trouble at the Snap. Uh, it happened uh, with the Tigers in 2013. It happened after App State, where you kind of sit down on a s Saturday or whenever the, the game was, and there's a brief moment. It just, it's brief, you know, so maybe it's a minute, maybe even a little bit longer, where you say to yourself, Man, you know, maybe, maybe I don't want to watch sports anymore. And it goes away. And and you eventually snap out of that. Eventually, you're able to, to pick yourself up and go back to watching sports. But I, full disclosure, I still haven't. There was a, guys, there was a seven overtime game in college football the other night. I, I didn't watch a single second of it. I didn't watch a single second of NFL yesterday. I, I you're so lucky. You're yeah. so lucky. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, an absolute burnout in a, in by the Michigan uh, team and a burnout by me personally. I, I just – probably Michigan's next basketball game in a few days will be the next time that I'm, I'm able to watch a sporting event. That's, uh, that's an interesting point, Chris. I actually said kind of the same thing today along the lines of sports, man. They, they kind of make me miserable. Like I was doing – my show today and I kind of had an epiphany that outside of like Michigan's big 10 tournament basketball championships. And, and I don't include those in this argument. Like the last time that one of the teams that I've rooted for, you know, my whole life, the last time they won a championship and like, I felt some sort of euphoria was like the 2008 Red Wings. That was the last time. Like, yeah. I have been far and away disappointed way more than I have been happy watching sports. And I'm like, is this worth it? I shouldn't be this upset about this. But it literally, like, it, it's it's ruined my weekend. It's ruined my Monday when we are recording this show. Like, I'm just, I'm just, like, going through the motions. I'm just, like, sad about it. You know, the thing is, too. So before we recorded here today, I had to do some NFL like I have to watch the NFL stuff and I did some NFL video. And we were just kind of before we started rolling, we were talking about a uh, rough weekend in sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, why do I work in sports for eight, nine, ten? Hell, some days, 12 hours a day. Why do I do that and do what I do? Close my laptop and, you know, you know that thing that I just did for 10 hours? I think I want to try and do that for fun. Why do I do that? Why? It makes no sense at all. And you got, like, I'm just going to start right. I'm going to hop right into it because there's no, there is no. There, there, there's a lot to talk about in this game. Though. There is no segue. There is no smooth transition. It's time. To, it, it, we're ripping the Band-Aid off. And, and I'm just going to. A lot of the things I say will probably be restating what I wrote over the weekend about it. What's next after the loss? Listen. 
Michigan had a chance to go down to Columbus, put the nail in what had been a horrible season for Ohio State, even at 10-1 coming into that game. It was a systematic failure in every single aspect of the game. In Michigan's two biggest games of the year, Notre Dame and Ohio State, they did what I was afraid they were going to do all season long. And people will say, oh, I can't stand listening to your show because you're so anxious, you're so scared. They showed their ass like I was afraid they were going to. And Michigan football, (laughs) I said this over the weekend, when the chips are down and you have to win a football game, Michigan did, who did Michigan beat this year? Michigan beat a bunch of nobodies. They beat, they did not beat a single team this year that was capable of beating them. And the two games that they won or that they lost, they were tighter, so tight. And I, I compared it to this line from Ferris Bueller's day off. Pardon my French, but Cameron is so tight that if you stuck a lump of coal up his ass in two weeks, you'd have a diamond. That's what they are. That's what they are. And you had a chance to go down to Columbus, knock Ohio State down a few pegs, win the Big Ten East. Now, people, I saw a tweet over the weekend. Well, you know, Michigan still did technically win the East. They will get a trophy for it. Shut up. Shut up. Michigan is back to winning the games they're supposed to win, but they're, they don't win the games that they need to win to be taken seriously as a big boy, as the leaders and best. This was supposed to be a perception changer. It was supposed to be a passing of the baton. It was going to be an announcement to the rest of the nation that we are a playoff team. We deserve to be an indie, and we're going to go out and earn it. It was a chance to send Columbus into mass hysteria. Nah, don't want it. Don't care. It was pathetic. It was disgusting. It was 100% unacceptable. And, and no one person is more at fault than, than the other. I mean, the players didn't show up. The coaches didn't have them ready to play. The coaches were too stubborn to adjust to the type of game that they were going to find themselves in. It was a systematic failure. And at the end of the day, it was more of the same. I, you're right, obviously. Um, I, I, this was one of those games that was so bad it's almost impossible to even compare it to anything. This was the worst loss in Michigan football history. Dude, I have zero. As far as I'm concerned, that. yeah. If uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's already uh, the I most points way. they've ever given up in a regulation game. I think, man, because what would be like if if we're doing like a top two or three? Well, like App State is obviously in the top two, but as much, as terrible as that loss was, I remember that game. I was at that game. That was the first game of the season, and the next, that team still played Ohio State at home with a chance to go to the Rose Bowl. Now, of course, we know how that ends, and they got their you know their shit kicked in, but their goals were still ahead of them. It was embarrassing. They ultimately made it back to the top 25. They beat Florida in the bowl game. Was it a successful season? No. But did they salvage something out of what was a disaster? Yeah. There's nothing salvageable about this, uh, about this loss. Nothing. They can go. I don't care who they play in the bowl game, whether it's Oklahoma, UCF, whoever it is, they could win 49 and nothing. Nothing will salvage what we saw on Saturday. It got, 
it got surreal. It got to a point where, where, and I don't know about you guys, you guys had the watch party, but I was just, I was looking around my family room just in a daze. Like It was just one thing after another, after another, after another. And and Nick Baumgartner brought up something uh, in one of uh, the videos that, that he was in where he said, this was not Michigan uh, making mistakes that they had made earlier in the season and corrected. They were doing things they hadn't done all year. How many times have we talked about the fact, wow, the receivers have gotten so much better at catching passes. So many drop passes. Zach Gentry had three, including a touchdown, dropped. And to me, a play that's going to be overlooked because there were so many disastrous moments. But to me, the ultimate moment of embarrassment in this game, in this rivalry, and it just showed the lack of preparation, the lack of toughness, the lack of grit that this team was playing with. The ultimate embarrassment to me was Ambry Thomas catching a kickoff when it was clearly going out of bounds at the eight-yard line. That, that is it a number one sign of a team that is terrified to win and even more terrified to lose. They came to that game with nothing. I, I've never said this in my life. I wish they would have started a fight. Just to let me know there's something. How many? When was the last time there was an Ohio State game where there wasn't a personal foul penalty because it, somebody, somebody punched another guy on the sidelines? Just just to know I'm alive, I'm awake, that I'm not in this, this, this complete nightmare that is happening in front of me. A 60-burger. I just spent the entire day saying to myself after that, 62 points. They gave up 62 points. Should have been 69 if Ohio State actually nice. showed some not generosity. Nice, but nice. Yeah. I Well, and you it, know what? Spare me that. Oh, if you had told me they were going to go down to Columbus and score 39, Jim Brandstetter said this on the radio broadcast. I would have thought they wanted a blowout. Guys, when that game was I considered that game over after the block was the block punt that mm. put them up 41-19, I believe it was. That's when that game was over. And 7 of those 19 points were gifted to you at the end of the half when uh, the kick bounced off of an Ohio State player right into the arms of a Michigan player. You get the ball on the six and punch it right in. Other than that, through three quarters of play, your offense scored 12 points. So don't spare me this, oh, well, the offense did their part. No, they didn't. That game was over when they were down 22 points, and it just got worse from there. So spare me that. I mean, every – in. There are just so many things. To, every, this was a true Murphy's Law type of game. Everything that could have possibly gone wrong. And here's the other thing. When's the next time you're ever going to get breaks like that in Columbus? Like, the, like the, the kick that bounces off the guy's hands? When are you going to get the some of the calls that you had in Columbus? Like, I'm not big on the ref conspiracy theory thing. I, I don't put any stock into that at all. But, like, the refs were almost kind of trying to keep you in the game. And he wouldn't take mm-hmm. it. Nah, don't want it. Ohio State made mistakes. And Luca, sorry, man, I'll let you talk just a second, but but I wanted to just add add to that point. You're absolutely right. In that first half, really at halftime, I'm like, wow, I think they they might end up lucking their way into a victory because Ohio State has made a lot of mistakes, as great as that offense was. You look at not only the muffed uh kickoff return and the penalties, but how about 
once in the first half, once in the second half, Urban Meyer lost his mind at the goal line and decided to do that, that Tate Martell garbage in the Wildcat when they had three plays from the one and couldn't score. It should have been probably, what, 28 to, uh, to, to 12 at half? And it was worse. So I was thinking, oh wow, this could actually that they could actually luck their way into into a victory here. Maybe they're catching the breaks. And to me, the the turning point of that game, not to say it was ever in doubt, because Ohio State clearly, when you look at the numbers and the way things played out from beginning to end, Ohio State had it. But Michigan's first offensive drive in the second half. This is this sounds crazy. But Michigan had a chance to drive down the field and take the lead in the third quarter after playing the worst half of football they played all year. Handoff, sack, drop pass. Ball game. Right there. And it was because the play calling was abysmal. Maryland, who was just popping 20-yard runs when they played Ohio State, Michigan couldn't get a thing going. And we'll talk more about that. Luke, I'll let you go ahead, man. Yeah, I guess I'm just... So, and you guys are putting into perspective here, but it's like, how does the coaching staff, uh, I, I kind of put this partly on them. Obviously, the players weren't executing, too. You mentioned the drop passes, Chris, and that's obviously not on coaching staff. That's on player execution. There were a lot of plays that were on player execution, a lot of plays that were on coaching staff. But the lack of adjustments, I guess, is, is what really kind of gets to me. Um, Watson was very clearly from drive number one, not capable of playing in this game. He he was, he, uh, he didn't have the athleticism to do it. He just didn't. You have a guy like Ambry Thomas on the sideline who came to Michigan to play DB. Like at some point, when do you think, Hey, maybe Ambry Thomas can run with Paris Campbell, you know, because Watson clearly cannot. At, at what point do you go away from the stubbornness? At what point do you abandon the game plan, like Mike Tyson always said. I think it was Mike Tyson, right? Everyone's got a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah. Like, Michigan got punched in the mouth, and they just stuck with their game plan, and then they just kept letting Ohio State punch them in the mouth. Like, they were just standing there with their gloves down, and they just kept getting punched in the mouth until they eventually got knocked out. Like, there was no attempt at anything. It, you know when Michigan was at its best? When the game was already in hand, Michigan spread it out. They went up tempo and they went right through the Ohio State defense. Maybe that's huh. partly due. Maybe that's huh. partly due to Ohio State not exactly playing huh. D or or letting off the gas. I don't know, but I think Michigan has the athletes suited to do that in a defense that's susceptible to giving up big plays when you do that. Like that's what I don't understand. And what's most frustrating is is last year was one of the best coach offensive performances I've seen out of Michigan yeah. in quite some time. Last year's Ohio State game, they schemed their way to stay into that game. And this year it was like they forgot that that's possible. That they that this that they were pay, playing Michigan State this week or they were playing Penn State. You know, they were doing the body punches thing. But as soon as you got punched in the mouth on drive number 1 on defense, like you got to understand that Ohio State ain't screwing around this game. Like, they're coming to punch you in the mouth, and you can't let them continue to punch you in the mouth. It's just disheartening because for me right now, and I don't know if you guys feel the same way, like, I've got no optimism. There is not a single thing I take from this game. Like, 2016, you had the the JT maybe got a first down by half an inch 
to keep that game alive or else Michigan wins. Last year, you got up to a 14-0 lead. There is literally nothing from this game that I take away as positive. Nothing. No. Yeah, and I no. tweeted I tweeted this on Saturday, and, and maybe it's fair, maybe it's not. I don't really care because it's at least the 2017 team showed up and had a spine. And, mm-hmm. and this is Michigan all season long has wanted to play this bully ball type of offense. And we talked about it all season long. We're like, yeah, it's working. But, and I said all year, and again, maybe this is just me being whiny. I said all year, at some point, you're going to have to open it up. When you have guys like Donovan Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black, Nico Collins, who had two touchdowns in the game. Zach Gentry had a bad game, but he's an athletic pass-catching tight end. You have a dynamic playmaker at running back in Chris Evans. A guy in Shea Patterson who I know in the article I wrote, I said that he's on par talent-wise with Dwayne Haskins. I mean, Haskins is clearly better, but we're talking about two guys that are really talented passers and, and um, you know, a guy that I think in Shea's point of view, a guy that you could do some things with if you spread the ball out. And it never really felt like they – you know, we heard the offensive uh, the the offense was going to start doing some more RPO stuff, going to spread it out. We heard that all offseason coming into this year, and we saw a little bit of it, but it always felt like it was just more of a wrinkle to Harbaugh's regular Stanford style pro style offense than them ever going fully into it. And I told a friend this earlier today. I said that you know you, they could play this game a hundred times and. 99 times out of 10 or out of 100 what happened to down brown's defense wasn't going to happen like maybe they give up 35 40 in some games but 62 like that's a 1 in 100 1 in 1000 chance but the thing that i'm supremely confident that would have happened no matter what is that the stubborn offensive approach would have happened regardless of of how that game was played and it's just disappointing because it's it's like it just feels like another missed opportunity. Because what Urban Meyer and Dwayne Has what Urban Meyer did for Dwayne Haskins was he, he said, "I know we're down. I know we have our deficiencies. I'm giving you the football. Go out, rack up some yards, throw a bunch of touchdowns, and win us a football game." Whereas you know he was the centerpiece of that offense. Shea Patterson never felt like the centerpiece of Michigan's offense. He was a guy that was capable and could do some really special things when he had the chance to, but it was still the ground and pound bully ball, uh, hurl a a desk chair at the line of scrimmage type of offense. And that's fine. Like I I still like they, they did some okay things on offense, but it's just like that approach just doesn't do it for me. Like in college football, you got to score 40 points to win. Now you have to, like against good teams, that's where it's going. That's where the NFL is going. College is going there. No, the NFL is going there to catch up to college. So it's like, yeah, the defense was great. And here's the other thing about the Michigan defense. Zero pass rush at all. Five oh total God. five total pressures on the day. I think I can remember one time where Chase Winnett, it was right off the bat in the second half. They forced a three and out right out of the locker room. Chase Winovich is in Dwayne Haskins' face. Mm-hmm. Good work. Good job. Other than that, crickets the entire day. So guys like Chase Winovich, um, outspoken. If you want to call him a loudmouth, those are your words, not mine. But you, okay, bye. You leave Michigan having won nothing. 
and you did not show up in the biggest game of the year. Bye. Enjoy the NFL. Rashawn Gary declared for the NFL on Monday. Okay. Bye. Didn't win anything. So, oh, well, see ya. That's your legacy now. It's just another, you know, guys like Jabril Peppers, Rashawn Gary, two good players, but one nothing. Didn't make any enough big plays and in, in enough big games. Bye. See ya. Time for the next yeah. group to come through. It's That's... Just, that that to me is the biggest advantage they had in this game on both sides of the football was going to be in the trenches on offense and on defense. The offensive line did not get a great push and the defensive line did not exist at all. No. And when you play a zone defense and you can't get, if you're going to play zone defense and be strict zone, you better have a pass rush. You better have just a semblance of a pass rush. They had nothing. And here's the other thing. Earlier this year, I seem to remember a reporter going after Don Brown, not going after, that has a negative connotation, but someone had brought up in uh, concerns with the zone in a, in a press conference or some kind of scrum, and he was, like, defensive about it. So, like, these have been concerns that have been there throughout the year. We saw it in the Indiana game. We've seen it in other games where the crossing routes, the dink and dunk stuff just chewed Michigan up. And all year, they they would adjust at times – but whatever Dwayne Haskins said after the game, he saw something on film that he called a quarterback's dream. Against the number one defense in the country, on film, he saw what he described as a quarterback's dream. That's a problem. That's and a- where where were the adjustments in the second half? That's what bothers me the most. Is is you know because we we saw it against Northwestern and and Indiana where the defense might not have played their best first half by any means, but then they come out, they give up three, they give up zero. Hell, against Notre Dame, it was like that. They Notre Dame didn't do a thing in the second half. Michigan adjusted. They didn't change a thing in the second half in this game, defensively. It was the exact same, no pressure. If the, Honest to God, and I'm not, if somebody were to tell me that this was an in, uh, intentionally terrible performance, I would have a hard time not believing it. Because uh, this team, all year, what do they do? They put pressure on quarterbacks. They get in the backfield. Not once was Dwayne Haskins pressured. You brought up one. But but really, when you think about it, in the grand scheme of things, not once. I don't know if he even hit the ground one time. All game. With the number one defense in the country, I don't understand how that happens. It either means, A, they aren't as good as we thought they were, or B, they just came out and laid an egg just it, that is, is beyond belief. And uh, no matter what option you choose, neither one of them is good. Neither one of them is even remotely close to good. I, I would like somebody to, 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 to talk to Don Brown or if somebody could get more out of Don Brown where he says, where, where somebody just asks, what happened? Where were the adjustments? What did you think was going to happen coming into this game? Because even... I, I didn't even understand what their game plan was. It's, it was the same thing that happened against Indiana. The middle of the field was wide open on a crossing route every time. It was stunning. Absolutely stunning. I've, we've, we've seen Michigan do this before. We've seen them go into Columbus or go, or go into East Lansing and choke. But, guys, this, this was the worst. This was the most egregious because I think we all agree we thought this team was different. It felt like this team was different. And this, everything that they'd worked to with the revenge tour and how much fun we'd had over the last 10 games, negated, nullified by this absolute 
dumpster fire of a performance. It's true, man. It's kind of crazy, right? How like a single game you play 12 games and you win your first eight conference games and it's all, you know, candy and ice cream. You're having a great time. The revenge tour talking some smack. This team's different. And then they go out and do that. And the whole season shot like it's it's amazing what this one game does. But I'm to the point where I'm just I don't know if they'll ever beat Ohio State again. Like, I, I, I honestly, I'm questioning it. Like, if not this year, when? Well, here's the thing. And I want to, God, as, as much as this hurts to do, for as bad as Ohio State looked all season long, it was pretty clear that all week, Urban Meyer and his staff coached their asses off. And they deserve a ton of credit for that, as no matter what you feel about the guy. Honestly, and I'm going to say this right here and right now, and this will probably be the end of this. Really, the only thing more disgusting that w- than the outcome of that game was how the TV broadcast made it sound like it was some sort of redemption arc or redemption tour for Urban Meyer. That's bullshit. Like, that's disgusting and irresponsible. Like, come on now. That's just too much. It's just so sad that because this game was so bad, of all the things I have to complain about on a list, that's probably like 97 out of 100. There's just, it, it, you're right. And in mo- if Michigan would have won or this would if this would have been a close game, I would have felt differently. But because it was just so terrible, I, I, I even forgot that they did that. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, they deserve... That's that's a totally separate issue, but that was yeah, that was just salt in the wound. When at the end of the game, you know, it's that was tough to listen to because I, I mean, I sat through all that. I mean, we had the watch party, which, by the way, let's put some positive into this watch party was great. Andrew Bailey came out. We did the pregame show bar. This bar, the Cirque Bar, great host, great venue, was absolutely packed for really up eleven o'clock up until when things started to get out of hand. Uh, and that's that was the most depressing thing is I kind of had a front row seat and was looking up at the TV watching. And then at some point you look back and everyone's gone. <laughs> like it cleared out quick. But uh, that was an awesome venue. Hopefully we're able to do more more stuff like that. Um, it was great. But it's just like that. Uh, I, I'm still I'm trying not to stammer and go, um, well, you know, but like a couple days later from this, I just don't. I just don't get it. And I think that let me, let me go here. Let me pivot this conversation here. And then we're going to have to have another interesting conversation about, about Jim Harbaugh and and moving forward. And I know, will they ever beat Ohio state again? Um, Dude, as long as urban Meyer's there, like you should never expect Michigan to at this point. No. Um, And I said earlier this year, and I'm, I do this all the time. I have a take. I don't stick to my guns. And I, I back off of it and it, <laughs> it comes back and it rears its ugly head. I told you after the Notre Dame game that I did not trust this team. I could not give them the benefit of the doubt to win a big game. And I was, I was lured back in by wins over a seven and five Wisconsin team, a seven and five Michigan state team and an eight and four Penn state team. Like I said, you didn't beat a, a team. This, you didn't beat a single team this year that was capable of beating you. So in that regard, like, yeah, 
Michigan, Michigan bullied a lot of teams this year. But you know what happens to a bully when someone else stands up to him and doesn't back down like Ohio State did? The bully crumbles. The bully soils himself. That's what happened on Saturday. Um, you know, they, they don't. Ten and two means nothing to me. And yeah, it's great. Ten wins in three of the last four years. Yeah, Michigan is back to being in the conversation. But now you lose this game. If Ohio State goes to the playoff, Michigan is probably headed to the Rose Bowl. And that means nothing to me because it's not the it's not the Rose Bowl yeah. anymore. It's the Rose Bowl in name, but it's not. It's a consolation game. It is a consolation game. And they're going to do the parade and the Tournament of Roses and all that stuff. You didn't earn your way there. And as far as I'm concerned, and, and I tweeted this out earlier, I, I I hate, I don't like the wait till next year stuff, but this year's over. It's a failure. It's an abject failure. It's done. It's over. Period. 2019 begins right now. And if any anyone else, uh, Devin Bush or, or any other guys that are going to come out of the draft early, I have zero issues with them sitting out the bowl game. Zero zilch because what you need to do now, because you're not firing Jim Harbaugh. I don't think you're going to really make any big staff changes. There might be some reshuffling of the deck chairs on the Titanic, so to speak. But what you need to do now is like, you know what? You guys had your chance. Your season's over. Uh, Go get ready for the NFL. We wish you well. It's time to get the guys ready that are going to be in this rivalry the next few years. It's time to get them ready now to make sure at least give them a chance to get their feet wet take that first step to making sure what we saw Saturday never happens again. And yeah, 14 out of the last 15 times hasn't mattered. Only time it mattered, you beat a six and six team coached by Luke fickle that I'll be honest to this day. I've never seen that game. So as far as I'm concerned, I haven't seen Michigan beat Ohio state in that's what I said in my post 16, 17 years. So it's like, (laughs) I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest, Anthony, I'm going to disagree with you on that one because just going by last year in terms of the uh, uh, the playing playing players in the in the bowl game, because that team that stepped out on the field in South Bend to start the year this year was the same team that stepped on the field and then off the field in that bowl game against South Carolina. You're 100 percent correct. And that's why like. That's why I feel like I don't have an issue if guys choose to sit out for the draft. I think Rashawn Gary's probably done at Michigan. He's probably not going to play in that game. I don't have an issue with that. Um, I think it was a Joe Clack quote where he said something along the lines of, if someone told you, because you have to equate these things to the everyman, because people will say, oh, well, no, you finish out you finish out your commitment, you finish out your career, and, uh, and and you stick with your team. But no, you have to put you have to equate this to the everyman. So if you had a classic car, a hot classic car, and a dude came up to you and said, hey, I'm going to buy this car from you. I'm going to pay $14 million for it, but I'm not going to do that to, until March. Are you going to drive that car? Probably not. You're not going to risk driving that car out there and losing that money. So if a guy sits out, I don't have an issue with it. Um, no. the, the positive of guys sitting out would be that someone else is getting an opportunity because that at the end of the day, the guy that is sitting out didn't do anything in the games that matter. So it doesn't really bother me. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, it's sad, but true. Um, this, uh, as far as what Luke brought up about, you know, just wondering, are, are they ever going to beat um, 
Ohio State. I, at this point, and you know, I'm glad we have this on audio. I, I next year, no matter what, and please hold me, hold me to this. I will not pick Michigan to beat Ohio State. I can't do it anymore. It, and it took me long enough. It took me seventeen out of nineteen years to learn. Well, but I, 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 I. I it's not like we were idiots either. Like they were favored. They were favored in this game. We haven't even talked about that. They were favored. This was when you had to win it. That's what this feels like. And I think part of the, that's where part of the anger comes from. I mean, there's a lot of places in this game where anger comes from, but I feel stupid because of that game. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I put my faith in something that I genuinely, because I'm a pessimistic guy. I genuinely believe this team had it. And what it reminds me of we're going to make it a movie analogy here. It's like when you're really anticipating a movie and you talk for months about how great the trailer is and how the cast is awesome and how great it looks. And then it comes out and you're wildly disappointed and you feel like a schmuck. Cause it's like the movie that you thought was going to be the most amazing thing ever was terrible. It was like, dude, it was this was Batman was, versus Superman. It was, was the suicide Bennett. squad. This was the Phantom Menace, dude. It was that bad. I was, I came into that game and I said, "This, tra- this trailer's amazing. The, the new technology, that everything's been upgraded." Kickoff. Jar Jar Binks shows up five minutes in. Ball game over. Hi, that Misa lose again in Columbus. Exactly. I would have rather have gone through that. Now, unlike there's people I know of who went to see Phantom Menace seven times because they're like, "Oh, well, maybe this time I'll like it." I'm never watching that game ever again. You couldn't pay me to watch that game ever. Oh man, yeah, this is this is about where I thought that this podcast would go today. <laughs> um, I wanna I wanna talk to you guys about Michigan's offense, though. Like, I th- what they can't compete with what they what they're doing right now with the top teams in the country. They're never going to like this. Isn't you this? Well, like 2008 at Stanford, whatever it was when Harbaugh was there, it's, it's not that in 2010 or whatever it was. Like it's it's not, and he never even won Pac-12 championships there because Oregon was winning Pac-12 championships with Chip Kelly's offense. Like at some point, Jim Harbaugh needs to step in 2018. This offense that he's trying to run is getting phased out in the NFL. Like the NFL is like 10 years behind college football, and it's getting phased out there. He needs to step into 2018. This needs to be more of a spread offense. It just does. If they want to beat teams like Ohio State, like you needed on Saturday to be able to outgun Ohio State. Michigan just didn't have it. They have the athletes to. They don't have the scheme to. And, and my question have, is. They didn't have the scheme nor the want to. No. They didn't and want I, to. And I'm pretty, much, I'm pretty much phased out by Pep at this point. Like I thought this year was going to be different. But on the offensive side of things with the numbers, it really wasn't that different. The question obviously turns to Jim Harbaugh has been very good at going out and getting the best guys for his staff. He went out and he got Don Brown, you know, Saturday, notwithstanding Don Brown's been a pretty good hire for his staff. Went out, got Jim McElwain to coach the receivers after he got fired from Florida. He, he's awesome got to, he, I, I call me crazy. He's got to get cliff, right? Like, that's where this Michigan offense needs to go. In theory, yes. Like, that's, that's the, what but I... The, the athletes are there. It's not like Scott Frost at Nebraska where he's going to implement his system and none of those guys are prepared to play that system. Shea Patterson 
and Chris, Chris Evans, Nico Collins, DPJ, Tariq Black, that offensive line who, who is a little bit undersized, Cesar Ruiz, uh, that guy can move. Like This entire offense is far more equipped to run a spread than it is this pro-style run it in the center of the line 20 times a game that they're doing. Like The athletes are there. The personnel is already there. Like If you want to compete with the big boys, that's what you're going to need to do. Yeah, in theory, like a guy like Cliff would be would be great. Um, I think that there's a chance that they may have to make some changes on the offensive staff anyways. I mean, I'm seeing reports today that uh, Jim McElwain may be a candidate to be the OC down at Tennessee, reunited with Jeremy Pruitt. The two guys worked together at Alabama. So you may have a coaching staff change to make anyways. Like I said, as far as Pep Hamilton goes, like through two years, I, I, I've seen enough of that. I think that that's um, not, a, not a fan, really just not. Uh, I think the way I, I do feel like the way forward for Michigan, and I wrote about this over the weekend and it's not like people, I think take this that I'm saying that Jim Harbaugh is incapable or can't handle coaching the offense. Jim Harbaugh, like we're going to talk about Jim Harbaugh here in a bit, but I think it really, I think it would behoove them or behoove him to step back Get, get your fingerprints, get the, you know, the bow style football, the pro style football that you want to run. Just take a step back, be the CEO and give someone the keys to the offense. Like you gave Don Brown, the keys to the defense, whether that's a, like they, I'm not worried about money. Like if they want to, they can go out and get whoever Jim Harbaugh wants to get. And they will do that because you're already paying him $9 million a year. What's another, you know, million and a half for, or 2 million bucks for a badass offensive coordinator. Like if there's a guy that he wants, they'll go get him. And that's the thing. It comes from the want to, the desire to step into the 21st century, step into this next century of football. I was having a conversation earlier today with some of my NFL guys uh, in the office, so to speak. And I, I kind of raised this question to them and it wasn't me dogging on, on Jim Harbaugh, but I was like, when you look at the offense that Jim Harbaugh ran at Stanford, ran with the 49ers, is running at Michigan, that's not where football is going. So right now when I see this is about the time of the year when the coaching carousel of the NFL starts to pick up, and naturally because it's a clickbait name, Jim Harbaugh's name comes up. Anybody who, like, if I'm an NFL team, I'm not hiring Jim Harbaugh. I have no interest in Jim Harbaugh because what he wants to do is not where the league is going. Like, there's still a place for defense in college football. Defense is getting phased out of the NFL real fast. Mm-hmm. So I don't – we'll talk about Harbaugh and all that, but we'll talk about like his offensive approach. I just don't think it's – it's good enough to beat the teams you're better than, but it's not good enough to beat the Notre Dames, the Ohio States. Um, and You know what pisses me off the most about it is that Nick goddamn Satan – Saban, excuse me – won like five championships running the ball down people's throats and playing defense. And he still changed his offense to go with the times. Like Jim Harbaugh hasn't won anything and he won't change his offense. Like if anyone has a right to not change what they're doing, it was Nick Saban. But like, and he still did it. Like at what point are you just like, Jim, stop it. Do this, please, for the love of God, for my sanity. 
Yeah, and and Nick Saban was so stubborn too. And this is this is a lot like that. This is a crossroads thing for him. Nick Saban was like, you know what? I gotta change. I gotta change up what I'm doing here. And he went out and hired that turd Lane Kiffin. And they don't like each other, but they want a hell of a lot together. And that's Lane Kiffin is the beginning of what they have now with Tua in the offer. Right. Like Alabama's an, Alabama could put up you know points against any team in the country. They're that good. And they have playmakers everywhere. And they have a quarterback to be like, you know what? Here you go, kid. Go out and make plays. It seems like that Michigan and Jim Harbaugh kind of coached Shea Patterson a little bit scared this year. Like, yeah, he's prone to some bad throws and some bad turnovers. And they, to their credit, they did a nice job of reeling that, reeling that back. Yeah. But you didn't take any chances either. Um, you know, how many games, like, I'm not going to go through and look at the box score now, but, like, how many games did Shea Patterson throw the ball, like, you know, 13 for 18 for 212 yards and two touchdowns? Like, that's yeah. all fine and good. But it doesn't, you're not, you're not proving anything about how good a football team you are, how tough a team you are. If you can rack up, like, 400 r- rushing yards against, you know, Rutgers. Like, that doesn't do anything for me. So I, I do feel like that's the way forward. I think that, you know, just look like we're talking about changes and where they go next. Like I said, Cliff Kingsbury in theory would be great. It's probably a pipe dream because I don't, I think that he's going to have NFL teams calling him, honestly. It's a good point. But in theory, yeah, that, that is absolutely. But, but also, but also for. job security is probably better at Michigan than anywhere in the NFL. And you're going to get paid the same. That's true. true. But again, yeah, I think- this is where that um, this is where that reputation of Harbaugh wearing on people is does that prevent guys like that to come to Michigan? Because Cliff Kingsbury, make no mistake about it, he's a young guy, but he wants to be a head coach again. Like yeah. is that too grinding and experience? like I don't know. I, I that's why I think if you're if you're gonna make that higher it, he wouldn't – I don't think he would commit for the long term. I, I think it would be one of those things where like, – uh, hypothetically, right? And once again, potentially a pipe dream. But, guys, there was a – people listening, it was a rough weekend. Okay, let's – just imagine, if you will. Uh, if you were to come to Michigan and the offense were to open up and they were to win a Big Ten championship, dude, he'd get a, head coaching offers like – after one year, if that were to happen. Oh God. Yeah. It would well, be, I mean, a, it would be a him, quick rehab for him. Absolutely. Yeah, the chances of him improving his resume would be uh, exponential. But, but as far as the Harbaugh's offense though, I think one thing I, I realized is it it's, it's completely suitable usually. And it's very suitable when you're ahead. I think the best drive that they had all season uh, was the seven-minute drive uh, against Michigan State in the uh, third and carried over into the fourth quarter. Uh, you had the fourth and two where Shea Patterson, uh, you know, did a read option, got a first down. Ben Mason ultimately scored a touchdown. That was a tremendous clock-killing drive. Oh yeah. And but when Michigan was playing and down, uh, whatever, forty-one to nineteen, they were still playing. With that same type of offense. Guys, they were the fourth quarter was about to end, and they were running plays every 45, 50 seconds. Like you're down by 22. Move the ball. Pass the ball. Open up the playbook. 
It was amazing. Like, they, they probably ran about two plays in the time they probably should have ran about five. Sure. Just wasting time. And, and, by, and, and so you knew by the time it got to the fourth quarter, it was over. Even when Michigan cut to, what, 15, 16? You know they had no chance because they can't run a two-point conversion to save their ass. They can't stop them defensively. It was never in doubt pretty much, one, to me, once Ohio State stopped Michigan on the first drive in the second half. Yeah, and that's a good point. I think that when you look at the approach offensively and how they just kept running the ball, like I kind of feel like, and we knew that in that Notre Dame game, pass protection was as bad as I've ever seen it. Like that was yeah. that was bad stuff. But is it one of those things where do you think maybe they didn't pass as much this season because the pass pro was so bad and they were hiding that? Because to me, if that is the case then that's coaching scared and you, you did your kids a disservice and getting them better by not giving them those reps. But again, I think it more goes to the offensive approach of wanting to be, you know, we run the, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, soften up the defense and then take our shots. Like that's all fine and good. There are applications for that. Uh, but what makes Alabama so good and, and some of these offenses so good across the country is that, yeah, they could spread it out. They could throw it 40, 50 times a game, but when they need a, a game ceiling drive at the end of the game, they can run. They can go ninety-five yards in sixteen plays. Run the ball, all but two plays, and, and seal off a victory. So there's applications for it. It can be done. Just because you go to more of a spread doesn't mean you're. And I think, especially with Michigan, I think there's a lot of people's perception of the spread offense is that it's what Rich Rod wanted to do. But no, spread is just shotgun. It's more um, run action stuff, play RPOs like. The NFL teams are running like you guys know that like New England Patriots run a spread offense like that's what they do and they've got elusive backs like Sony Michelle and things like that so pro style offense is a is a spread offense now like and a lot of these offenses in the league are are not you know, like snowflakes snow snowflakes snowflakes uh, that not one is is the same that the others are so it's it's time to adapt. It's time to do some different things, try some different things. Um, I, I felt like they they did this year. They did try to do that, but they didn't go hard enough with it. And like I said, it always to me felt like Shea's skill set and some of the things that they did was used as more of a wrinkle to open up what Harbaugh wanted his offense to be as opposed to, hey, we got a quarterback that we, you know, he's got a little, little Baker Mayfield, Brett Favre to his game. Let's let's run around a little bit. Let's let's chuck this ball down the field. It just never happened. Um, like I said, but I, I think that's that's Harbaugh's stubbornness. I really do like that. One hundred percent is. And, and and when you look down the road to Michigan State, that's another team who, mind you, okay. So I retired from watching college football for about two hours on Saturday, until I saw on Twitter that Rutgers led Michigan State in East Lansing, deep into the fourth. I, yeah, yeah. I, I just I had to. For science, not even for pleasure, for science, I had to see how that would play out. And it was as ugly as I thought it would be. And then I went back into my retirement. But Yeah, you know, I do I do stand corrected there because I was working and that game was on at the restaurant I work at. Technically, <laughs> that count and a half as <laughs> then after that I was done. Yeah. And that's so the reason that Michigan State has a lot of the issues that they have right now is because Mark D'Antonio is unwilling to adapt his offense. He's got his buddy's working around him and clear. Like, I think they were 120th in total scoring. Like 
And they're probably going to double down and keep that going there. Now, Jim Harbaugh, to his credit, is a stubborn guy too. But last offseason, let's not sit here and say that he's that stubborn. No, 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 because I know where you're going because he got rid of his longtime friend, you know, Drevno, obviously. Guy was in his his wedding. Yeah. And it it wasn't – he didn't technically get rid of him, but it was a parting of the ways. Um, And and that's proved dividends. Ed Warner was very good this year. Like he was Ed Warner was awesome this year. Yeah. Like don't let one game like fool you. Like Ed Warner was great. And even though it was historically bad and I have a lot of concerns about it now, uh, Don Brown has been very good. I, I, I won't call Don Brown great because they were choking out bad teams, but yeah. he was good. He has been good. Ed Warner has been good. Jim McElwain was excellent. So good. Jim McElwain was a very underrated hire because I thought the receivers really took a step up, but again, they didn't get their chance to shine, you know, because of this offensive scheme. So it all kind of goes back to one person now, doesn't it? It does. Absolutely. And we haven't really gone into this here. And we're we're going to now. And and I want to ask you, and I want to ask you this question, like Jim Harbaugh right now, he's in my mind, he's not on the hot seat. I think it's ridiculous to think he's on the hot seat. It's, that it's, is the that is the Twitter mob mentality. That's that's the that's the get rid of beeline three years ago mentality. You know the sure. one year well, when that made more sense than this did really. Yeah. Um. So my thing is though, is at what point can you keep losing to Ohio State though, and still not be on the hot seat because Jim Harbaugh has resurrected this program. He's getting great recruiting classes, but he now needs to do something with these recruiting classes. We may have seen a little bit of it this year, but you pointed it out, Anthony, you pointed it out, Chris, the big 10 sucked this year. They didn't really beat anyone of note. And when they played two good teams, they got molly completely wiped off the field. Like you have to do something at that point. Like at what point do you start having the conversation? Is, is it after next year? If they lose to Ohio state, is it the year after that? Because pretty damn soon, Jim Harbaugh goes from program savior, the man for the right job, and he turns into Kirk Ferentz. Okay, well, let me say this right off the bat. Jim Harbaugh is not the savior. He's not the guy that we thought he was going to be. And through four years, like that's that's not a hot take. It is what it is. Um, very, I still think he's a very good football coach, but great Urban Meyer Slayer, Nick Saban Slayer, he is not. And he's making a lot of money. Uh, no, he's not on the hot seat. I think that the thing, what it does is to me, so we've talked about this before, where they don't play Notre Dame until mid October next year. And Michigan State and Ohio State are two of the last three games of the year. So it's one of those situations where I like Michigan's next year for Michigan is a one game season, period. Ohio State at the end of the year. It really, really is. <laughs> it's like, like well, everything that happened this year up? was wiped away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's at the end of the day, like this year is no Big Ten title, no playoff. Is outside of the obvious quarterback upgrades and three less losses. Like, what's the difference between this year and last year? There isn't one. What's the difference between this year and 2016? There isn't one. You choked, you choked, and uh, you know, even that 2016 game. Like I can't say they didn't show up, but I don't think they were, they were capable. At least this, the defense this- was there, man. At, at least the defense showed up in that game. Yeah, and so when do we start having the conversation? I mean, 
you look at next year, like if they can't beat Ohio State next year, well, I think it really comes down to this. What is Michigan as a program? Like what? Because really, they haven't won a Big Ten title in 15 years. Outside of 1997, haven't won a national title since, you know, way back in the day. 47 or 47 or 48, whatever it was. So it's like right now, Jim Harbaugh is Lloyd Carr. Like he might have that one magical season where they go undefeated and make the playoff. I I don't know if this team has constructed or with this philosophy wins a national title, but yeah, they might make the playoff here, but I don't know, man. It it feels like the ceiling feels like Lloyd Carr is the ceiling right now. And that's disappointing. And that's, this is where you're kind of in a bind here because you can't, you just don't, you don't fire a guy for being as successful as he's been. I'll say as successful as he has been, not that he's been a massive success, but you don't, you don't fire guys that win, you know, 10 games four out of every five years, because that's how you end up with a Mike Riley situation at Nebraska. I don't even have to go to another school to give you an example of it. That's what happened in Michigan with Rich Rod and then Hoke and then you know, pulling the plug on guys too early. You can't do that. But at the same time, if you are, there are maybe four or five other schools in college football that have the resources that Michigan has and the willingness to use them. And you're paying Jim Harbaugh $9 million a year. You're putting millions of dollars into his coaching staff, which means at some point you need to, deliver you need to deliver those results and if you don't if we go through another season or two of you know nine or ten wins no big ten title no wins over ohio state i mean really let's be honest here michigan is two and seven against their rivals their two wins came against a michigan state team that went three and nine and a michigan state team this year that went seven and five so who have you beaten i mean penn state a couple years ago when you blew them out but they had a bunch of guys injured they end up winning the big ten Florida in a bowl game, but that was, you know, they weren't any good. Where are the wins at? They're, they're not there. So if I'm, we expect them to be a national title contender. And they can't even do that till they win the Big Ten. Because right. the way things are right now, you have to win the Big Ten title. And if it doesn't happen next season, I think it's time to have a conversation about the guy in the staff that can maybe make that happen. Uh, because if you're if your takeaway, I'm almost done here. Sorry, but if your takeaway is that well, Mich- who's Michigan going to get that's better than him, or they can't do better than Harbaugh? Well, then your question about what you should expect moving forward is answered. This is what you are. So, you know, maybe maybe this expectation of going to the playoff and winning national titles is and winning the Big Ten is misguided. Maybe it is. I mean, price tag wise, like yeah, that you, you're paying what it took to get Jim Harbaugh to Michigan. And you're relevant. You're in the conversation. And you know what? One year, maybe instead of Lucy pulling the football away, you make solid contact. I'll take but it. More, more often, like, this is, this kind of just feels like what you are. Yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, after next season, uh, if they don't beat Ohio State, I think the the pressure will be turned up to 11 because that'll be at that point we'll be in year six of a seven year contract. Harbaugh will probably be thinking extension, you know, and I I think, I do think 
he's going to coach all seven years of this contract. Oh, I don't think Michigan yeah. will let him. Go I, I don't think Michigan will let him go before that. Uh, I think there's there's the chance that they get to the end of seven years, uh, they hit their ceiling, which is just you know nine and nine wins, ten wins a year, and then consistently, uh, you know, just taking a dump against Ohio State, uh, and you know what that was. That honeymoon tour, that was cool the first year, even two, you know, where it's like, hey, you know what? They are back. To a certain extent, they're back. They're back to relevancy. That's great. But I think this this game in particular, what we just watched, it there's kind of this hopeless feeling amongst the fan base where we all felt like this team had what it took. They played like they had what it took. Talent-wise, I feel like they had what it took, and yet they go into Columbus and they give up 62 points with basically everything in place that you could have asked for coming into that game. So as far as Harbaugh, you know, when will the pressure be on? I think the pressure is already on. Um, and I don't even – I'm not even one of those people who's going to say, oh, well, who's going to do – who, who, who are you going to go – who are you going to go out and get if you fire Harbaugh? everybody's got somebody and and somebody will come along and and they'll, they'll, they'll bring them in and and see what happens. I'm not really worried about that at this point. I don't see anybody better than Harbaugh, um, which is good and and also stinks good in the sense. Yeah, they're relevant, but stinks in the fact that every year we're going to have to deal with this, this heartbreak and all it's going to take. If he just wins one, the pressure's off guys. If he wins one Big Ten title, he'll get the extension. He'll they'll they will whether or not it's justified or not. They'll still view him as the savior. A lot of people will. They'll still call him a top five coach in college football, which he's not. But people will say that uh, if he just wins one. But there seems to be, and even more so than a talent uh, uh, separation, there seems to be a mental block. Both with Harbaugh, with the program, and with the players, the word I used on Saturday was scared. And I think a lot of that stems from the coach. I think Harbaugh coached that game scared as well. And that's the one thing that may, you might not find a coach out there that puts up better, that's better as far as, you know, winning on a weekly basis, X's and O's, but uh, I don't I don't want a guy who's going to coach scared. I don't, I don't want this to continue. Okay, so before we wrap up here, I have a question for you guys. Because after Lloyd Carr retired, everyone wanted Lloyd Carr out. He was winning nine, ten games a year, went into Ohio State with a chance to go to the Rose Bowl, never won at, towards the end of his tenure. Right. Um, So everyone wanted him out. Then you bring in Rich Rod. And that happened for three years. Then you bring in Brady Hoke. That happened for four years. He beat Ohio State, but like Anthony mentioned, it's a six and six Ohio State team. I think I saw Drew Hallett mention today something about that. The teams, the four teams that Harbaugh has lost to against Ohio State, has a combined record of thirty nine and five. Good lord! And that's the other thing. Like you're dealing yeah. with a hist- you're dealing with a historically great yes. coach in a historically great run right now. Yes. So, so that the timing sucks too. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And my question is, 
you know, like seven years. That's seven years of your life that you went in the Rich Rod Brady Hoke eras. Where, let's be honest, Michigan football was kind of a laughing stock. Yeah, would you? Yeah. Would, yeah. would you give up? Like, I I don't know if I I want to give my expectations or my hopes that much right now, man. I like, I, I'm cool. Like, I wouldn't trade seven years of being terrible to to maybe potentially find someone to to get you to that next level like being in the conversation right now i i like maybe this is just me the recency bias and me being so down like at this point i'm cool with it you know and maybe they'll get there once urban meyer leaves ohio state the, he he's gone you know, and then maybe reached, what you're telling me is you've reached the acceptance stage of grief. Correct. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like my expectations for Michigan football, I don't, I don't see how I could put them any higher. Like I don't see them competing for national championships until urban Meyer's gone. And, and well, big 10 championships. I mean, like, like I don't want to go back to rich rod and Hoke. I had, I still had fun this year before Saturday, yeah. you know, like the, the rich rod and Brady Hokers were not fun in any way, shape, or form. Like, everyone was like, man, we didn't know what we had with Lloyd Carr until he was gone. That's how I feel with Harbaugh right now. And you know what? The expectations maybe should be higher with his salary. But as of right now, I'm just so defeated that give me 10, 10 wins a year. Hey, man, you know. You're taking the bird in the hand as we're two in the bush approach. Yeah. I, have zero, I have zero issues with that. Um, I think continuity is very important, and I think that, I mean, everything, it's not like all hope is lost. Like everything is there. Like, I don't know if they just, they need a sports psychologist or a medium or a psych, you know, a psychiatrist or whatever. Like I, I certainly, I'd really be interested in doing like a story, which nobody steal this idea. Cause I know you did. Cause I had it first. Yeah. I want to talk to like a sports psychologist or something about like how culture and perception and a fan base and curses and stuff plays into maybe how a team looks and prepares on the field. I would love to watch this game on Like, I don't want to watch this game on Saturday again, but if I had the chance to do it with like one of those guys that think about like back in the day when the Yankees had all these high priced players and they had all this, these issues in the clubhouse, they'd bring in some kind of psychologist to like come in and they talk through their problems and all that. I would love to watch film of this game with someone and just look for body language and what it means and what, what they see because I just feel like the app, like they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. And anyone that's every year slapping it up and, and being, oh, I'm so confident in my team. Oh boy, oh goody, oh boy, oh yes. Like that's kind of, it's kind of lame to me. But at the same time, I do wonder if all the negativity and the piling losses, because I mean, right now it's 14 out of 15, um, you know, seven in a row now. I, I do wonder if, they say that they tune that stuff out, but it has to weigh on them. Like they're humans. They're not robots. Like they are humans. And the thing is, and I think this is the line that hurt to write the most at the end of the piece I did over the weekend. I said, Michigan is Ohio state's little brother. And that hurt me to write, but it's true. Man. I don't even know if we can call us that we might be their son. <laughs> Urban, yeah. Dad. Yeah. Daddy. <laughs> I know, no, but it's one of those things that, and I talked about earlier this year and people, people criticize me for it, but I said that Michigan and Michigan state are more alike than they are different. 
and those two teams are perfect for each other right now because, you know, as it stands, I mean, they're, those two teams will play for the right for their game against Ohio State to matter and to probably get beat by Ohio State. Mark D'Antonio's beat them a few times, so credit to him. Had a chance, had a chance to do it earlier this year if they didn't give the game away. But that became Michigan, Michigan State was a rivalry because of proximity, but it wasn't a rivalry until it wasn't a true badass nationally recognized rivalry until Michigan State won and earned its way back into that. And that's what yeah. Michigan has to do with Ohio State. Like you it's not a rivalry. I don't I don't care what Pappy sits you down on your on your knee uh, on his knee and says back in the day Bo Schimbeckler and or Bo Schimbeckler and Woody Hayes they went to battle in the 10-year war in 1969 and win that game and go to the Rose Bowl and all this stuff like dude that was 40 years ago in almost 20 years I think the number now is 15 of the last 17 Ohio State has been daddy and so it's not like you can, you can puff your chest out and say back in the day when the Wolverines and the Buckeyes met on the gridiron in 1971. Like you could say that, that means nothing to me because I've these Michigan hasn't done its end of the deal. So when we talk about what's the better rivalry, yeah, it's the Michigan state rivalry. Cause you know what? At least in the last few years, you haven't completely embarrassed yourself. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I don't know what else to say about it really. Well, I mean, if you want to go, just off, you know, I, I don't think we would have had a podcast like this if they lost to Michigan State. You know, the we may have canceled the podcast, honestly. <laughs> well, uh, as we wrap things up here, I, I do want to say that I came in with zero optimism, and at the end of this, I, I had an epiphany of a tiny bit of optimism that hey, Michigan might compete for Big Ten championships once Urban Meyer leaves Ohio State. Like that is, that was my, that is my reason for optimism uh, moving forward. So we'll wrap things up here on this edition of Brewcast. Chris, my man, any final thoughts and where can we, uh, where can we get you on social media? All right, man. You can follow me on Twitter. That's at Castellani 2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2-0-1-4. I'm on Instagram. You can find me there. If you want to see my ugly mug, that's Chris Castle 95 C-H-R-I-S. C A S T L E nine five. I also got a YouTube channel as well. The Castellani losers club, youtube.com slash C L C my, uh, the link to that is in the pro, uh, my bio on Twitter as well. So find me on one. You can find me on all the others. Uh, appreciate it. And, uh, hope to hear from you soon. Anthony, any final thoughts or where can we find you on social media? Um, you can find me with my head buried in the sand first and foremost. <laughs> Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Anthony T Broom. Follow the website at Maze of Brew. Um, people are going to ask, like, well, what is this? I mean, this show picked back up during football season. We did it every week. And what does it become now? I mean, we're going to do the job. Like, we have things to talk about. Michigan basketball, a huge game on Wednesday uh, against North Carolina. Uh, we'll, we'll start going all in with that. And there's going to be other fun stuff that we do and, and all kinds of things. Uh, moving forward but uh, appreciate you guys sticking through us i mean there's still a bowl game we'll talk about that I'm, I'm interested in seeing by the time the bowl game rolls around and we see what the matchup is like yeah i'll be back in i'll be back interested because uh, yeah chance it would be a chance it is got a little little bit of a milestone a chance to win 11 games for the first time uh, under jim harbaugh so a little bit on the line there uh salvage at least a little bit of goodwill heading into the offseason but 
uh, appreciate you guys sticking with us, sticking around. And um, like I said, we, we tried to come on here and have a real conversation. I thought that our points were fair. I don't think we really took shots to anyone or it never became personal. It's just where we're at right now. So, and we'll get into more of that as, as the dust clears and uh, the emotions die down. But um, like I said, it's, it's been a, it has been fun to come on here every week and, and I haven't always looked forward to doing the po- podcast, but every week with, with you guys has been a good conversation and a pleasure. So I uh, got, it sounds like the final episode. It's not, it's not. we'll be back. To, uh, we'll be back. We, I just wanted to, to throw that out there. So thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll talk. Soon. Yep. It has been a fun football season. You can follow the show on Twitter at Brewcast show. You can follow me on Twitter at Luke Gierdi, L-U-K-E-G-H-I-A-R-D-I. As Anthony said, we've got some basketball coming up. We'll obviously talk about the bowl game. When we find out where Michigan's going to be going, going to know that when I think after Sunday night final college football playoff rankings, after the championship game, something like that. I don't know. Yes. We'll, we'll figure it out, but uh, we'll probably have that for you next week. So for Chris Castellani, for Anthony Broom, I am Luke Garrity. Thank you so much for tuning in to Brewcast, and we'll see you next week. Bye.